0: You're listening to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine.
1: Mike knows like so like the biggest names in comedy dude, you gotta see this guy's fucking show list. He like has like the biggest names on uh, in comedy on his on his show. It's kind of unreal, Mike, how you do that.
0: The best panel pod on the internet.
1: This is
2: what the show's about, Nick. We have our finger on the pulse of America's uh, trends. (laughs) What are the topics, Mike? What are the
0: topics? (laughs) This whole day can suck a
2: thousand fucking dicks.
0: Yeah, boy. Welcome to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine.
3: From Muscatine to the silver screen. Wait, it's a podcast? From Muscatine, Iowa to your AirPods? Here's
1: Mike. I'm Mike Bridenstine. Shout out Rick Gonzalez. Shout out Bad Planet. Shout out to my unpaid announcer, Tony (sighs) Tone-Lokensol. Hi, everybody. I hope you had a good holiday coming up on New Year's 2023. I have a big announcement one week from today. So January 6th, I'm putting out my hour special on YouTube for free. I ran the hour. At the Glendale Room. The week before I recorded my album. This was me. Running it. But it looks so good. Eric Kelly. This director did it. And I killed. So I'm putting it out. January 6th. 5pm Pacific time. Please watch it. Please share it with people. YouTube.com. Slash Mike Bridenstine. B-R-I-D-E-N-S-T-I-N-E. You should see it. Wherever you're listening to this on this show's name i hope that it goes well i hey i'm proud of it i know i just released the album but this is also going to drive traffic to that okay deeper dive today i'm very pumped to show you this roger gasman is an art dealer he's a curator he's a filmmaker he's a publisher and he's a historian of graffiti and street art he's the fucking guy He's worked closely with people like Shepard Fairey and with Banksy and with a ton of other great artists. He was a consulting producer on Exit Through the Gift Shop, which is one of my favorite documentaries. In 2018, he curated Beyond the Streets in Los Angeles, which kind of led to me becoming obsessed with his art shows. And in 2022, he opened a permanent gallery in L.A. He's the fucking man. Just so you guys are aware, when you listen to this, you will hear the backup audio that I had to rip from YouTube which is why I sound like shit. I did my best to fix it. It's a whole long story. I accidentally deleted all of the files. You would think I wouldn't do that 202 episodes in, but I did. Anyway, Roger is still fantastic. So without further ado, here's the great Roger Gassman. I'm a huge like history nerd, and especially art history. I watched Wall Riders. I loved it. I want to know, how do you begin to do something to look at like a city's graffiti history? Do you, were like cornbread and Taki 183 part of the lore or is it articles? How do you start on something like that?
2: I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, right outside of DC in the early 90s. And for whatever reason, I was fascinated very early on with the, as soon as I got into graffiti in the early 90s. I became very fascinated with what was before me and wanting to take pictures of stuff that was, you know, from the earlier 90s, from the late 80s, talking to the people that to me that were so fucking old that were in their early 20s. And I'm, you know, 14. I'm like, oh, you're so fucking old. I'll never be that old. And um, was just so interested in the history um, for whatever reason. I have no idea why I wasn't like a history buff in school or anything like that. And I very quickly started traveling to other cities in the early 90s with friends that were in bands. And I just cared about the history. I'm like, oh, I want to take pictures. Oh, your friend that's older has some negatives. Can I go cut a copy of his negatives? And then we were trading photos. Like I would trade someone in St. Louis, Miami, wherever it is, 15 photos, you know, four by six. You go to the photo mat, you get some fucking photos of what's going on in my city. And then they'd send me photos of their city. So I was very quickly by 1994, really aware of what was going on in a lot of cities, and also very aware of some historical things in a lot of the cities. There's not that many books, there's not that many movies. Yeah. There's a, and uh, I was, you know, for whatever reason, just interested in the historical part of it. A lot of my friends were a little older than I was, so they'd been around. So then their older friends were a little older, and it's just what I cared about. Uh, I was still, of course, very interested in what was happening. And all we wanted to do was go out and destroy everything. So (laughs) not like new graffiti fucking sucked. I just was interested in the history. Um, So I started building a huge photo collection, which I still have. I probably have a hundred photo albums in storage. And then very quickly, I also started scanning in those. Even in the late nineties, I was scanning people's collections, getting a hold of stuff. And I was also very interested in ephemera. Uh, I grew up, my mom has done estate sales for 40 plus years. So maybe the more, uh, the the older I get and the more I think about it, just being around people's stuff and seeing so much stuff and she'd always, she would always start collections for me because she'd like be somewhere and there'd be a collection. And I'm like, eight years old, why do I have a collection of this? Like, Oh, your mom brought it home for you. And like you build from it. So I definitely think it's kind of ingrained in me just getting stuff. And I quickly realized that, well, I wasn't doing exhibits right away, of course, in my teen years. Just the ephemeral is fucking cool. The flyer, the this, the this, like the newspaper article from 1984 that had someone in it. There was just something about it. I was going to punk rock and hardcore shows. So I was keeping the flyers from then. It's my friends making them. So I thought it was cool. There were these other people making them. And I, I just wanted to know the history of stuff. I was in a punk rock and hardcore. I was going and finding the first bands and getting their records and just digging. Um I was reading everything I could, you know, going to the library, looking through microfish, like everything and just digging. And um, as I got older, I started a magazine. I didn't set out to say, Ooh, I'm going to start a magazine. I just started a fucking magazine. And um very quickly, we started doing more historical things in it. I started well, I was going to do a history of Washington D.C. graffiti that was going to be 20 pages, or it was going to be six pages and turn into 20 pages. Then it turned into its own magazine. Then it turned into the first book I ever made called Free Agents in 2000, 2001. It was a mess, but you know what? It was the history of DC graffiti. And through that, I dug up so many people and it taught me how to dig people up. Call this person, call this person, write this person a letter in jail to call this person, to call this. And like, I was just really into the hunt. And that was the first like true historical dig I did. Um, and I was in my late. Teens to early twenties. It probably took two years, and I did it. uh Luckily, again, I had friends that were older that were this person was connected to this person, and I just watched the network build. I, and just,
1: I did one of my one of these for comedy recently, and the dig is fucking addictive. Like I don't know, like I didn't expect that, but people were like, "You're going way too far down a rabbit hole with this," and I was like, "I'm." I, it's like the dig is crazy, like interesting,
2: and it's not like everyone has photos, so oh, where can we go find a photo? Well. Let's go to the historic society and look at buildings being built in Washington, D.C. in 1982, car crashes in 1982, parks in 1980, whatever it is, because people are taking photos and you're accidentally finding things.
1: Oh, was there like a holy grail that you were looking for in these photos? Or did you find it with um, some of these like some of these guys? Like what was where there's were you, were always, you guys, like always holy grails? I'm looking for <laughs> yeah. every time you find one. There's still more because you're like that's
2: still out there i'm gonna find it there's more there's always more but yeah the, i mean the dig to find the photos to find the story to get someone on the phone finally that's kind of like why do you want to talk to me about something i wrote on a wall between the ages of 14 and 16 yeah yeah yeah. years ago
1: like you're insane how did you find me is there somebody you still haven't found that you're like where are they i want to track this down
2: There's a couple people there's some older Washington DC go go graffiti writers from the 80s that I would love to find. There's a couple that we did find like one guy that had been in prison for 30 some years who recently got out who was in prison under the alias he had originally given when he was like 14, even though they really knew who he was like, just things like that, where you're like, so happy you find them. Yeah. so it wasn't easy, but yeah, there's there's a lot of people. There's this one, uh, there's a couple early New York City graffiti writers that are women, Eva, Barbara, and Michelle from the late 60s, early 70s. Someone has supposedly found Eva, I half believe it. Um, and she's supposedly kind of cuckoo and can't really speak well anymore. I mean, don't forget, these are ladies in their late 60s, early 70s at this point. Um, and who knows what kind of life they've had. And we just can't find them for anything. Um, and then there's also the original potentially first graffiti writer um, in New York, Julio 204. You know, graffiti saying first is sort of a rabbit hole because it's how do you define it? I define it for the sake of writing your name over and over for the sake of fame, not necessarily political, not this, not that. So he was from Inwood and um, he lived on 204th and he was writing Julio Two Hundred Four. There's very few photos. It's more folklore, but we know he was real. We know enough people that knew him. Uh, You know, we've heard rumors. You know, we all we knew, he, he went to... George Washington High School, probably these couple of years he lived here. Like, we've done everything almost basically private investigators. Like, just can't find the guy. Wow. Um he's, he's a ghost. But again, you know, 1969, he's done with it. He could have moved to Puerto Rico. He could have moved to Spain. He could have, you know, changed his name. He could be in jail. He could be dead, you know. But I would think the legend of him, if he was dead, something might have happened, you know, you might have heard because. When some of these people you're looking for you can't find them you kind of then hear when they're dead because somebody knew somebody who knew somebody's like bumps into the neighborhood um there's a couple of people like that uh that you just really want to know the legend and where they are
1: and one day maybe we'll find them who knows so dumb mental game for you but there's a time machine it only goes to a famous events in graffiti history where are you going where are you taking this fucking thing? Inwood, 1968. Finding <laughs> finding find this guy, find the fucking guy,
2: Julio. About. Yeah, not to get fucked
1: up while I'm doing it. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, for the layperson listening to this, uh, <coughs> you, you mentioned the your definition of graffiti. Will you? I know you've done this a billion times, but tell them the difference in your estimation between graffiti and street art. Absolutely, there's kind of three things at this point: graffiti, street art, and
2: murals. You know, graffiti is very letter based and it's illegal and it's writing your name over and over and over again for the sake of fame. Of course, sometimes that scribble on that stop sign turns into a big bubble letter, turns into a big, beautiful straight letter, turns into so, so much more. It could turn into a huge legal mural you're commissioned for. But the essence of it starts with a simple tag that most people drive by and probably curse. But, you know, that turns into style and that turns into so many things. Um, and that dates back to the late 60s in New York and Philadelphia, and then, of course, the New York City subway system of the 70s made it famous. Um, Street art is much more image-based and often put up with stickers, stencils, wheat paste, and other interesting objects. Uh, It is still often done very illegally on the street. Um, It is still just as risky, but street art often has more of a message or more image-based. So if you cover two square miles with a stencil of a Labrador retriever and you only do 100 of them, but you cover those two square miles you can do a thousand tags. People are going to ignore the tags, probably think the tags are act of destruction. That Labrador retriever, that shit is cute. You take a picture and you share it on your Facebook, you send it to your grandma, whatever it is. Um, so street art, not all street art is, you know, uh, as approachable as that, but a lot of street art is more approachable and acceptable. It doesn't mean it's any less illegal. So I'm not talking down on it. It's just a little bit different. Um, and then murals, you know, the last 12 years, give or take, have just become so massive in so many cities, gentrification projects, developer projects, et cetera. And so many of those murals that are happening are just dubbed or as street art. Um, absolutely. Street artists paint a lot of murals, a lot of great murals. Graffiti artists paint a lot of great murals. But so many of these murals are happening by people that have never done either, but they're highly inspired by it. At first, I was so bitter by that. But all these people being called street artists, all these murals, these people that have never done anything. I was so mad for several years and just like wanted to like go ring everyone's neck. But you know what? I realized I was completely wrong in that. And uh, whether I like them or not, um, some I really do like. Um, It shows how far this culture has come. Ah. You can go into art stores and buy spray paint made for this art. You can buy stencil kits. You know, you can take classes, you know, if it weren't for people being so interested in painting big, doing murals, drawing inspiration from graffiti and street art, the culture wouldn't be where it is. People wouldn't be as interested in it and it wouldn't be continuing. I to learn and evolve. So I'm happy, you know, whether I like I don't need to like everything. You know, I just need to be happy that the culture is still continuing to thrive 50 plus years later. And it's completely worldwide. It's hard to say that about most things.
1: What were the key things besides um, people seeing it on New York City subways that made it kind of explode? Do you have like a kind of like this was like a tentpole, like kind of moment um, that did that? Or is it st- is it up for debate?
2: There's a few things um, that we could talk about. And a lot of it's really just the media and it's New York city and it's the early eighties. Uh, graffiti gets connected to hip hop a lot. Uh, a lot of people will tell you it has nothing to do with hip hop. Uh, it definitely has something to do with hip hop. It has something to do with punk rock. It has something to do with everything, but there's generations of graffiti before there's, you know, the cool Herc party in the Bronx. But that's you know- what
1: shocked me about wall writers. And I later heard you talk about that on another podcast. how it, like, you don't know what, hip-hop gave to graffiti that fucking blew my mind i guess it was the background for it right before but not necessarily like a part of it would you say right.
2: they're hand in hand they've helped each other like i'm not taking that away but they're each their own unique culture and they've come together here and there um but some of those moments are hollywood moments it's beat street it's break-in it's things like that that really spread the culture. And then there's also two films: one, uh, you know, a movie movie, and one a documentary movie, Style Wars and Wild Style, that both come out in the early '80s that are based in New York and have the real deal motherfuckers in it, the real artists. And they're either actors in one of them, or they're the you know subjects of the documentary in the other. And both merge with hip hop, and they are. Great films, they're complete time capsules, and they tour the world, whether it's in theaters, or PBS, or other television. The amount of people I could tell you I've talked to in Sacramento, Pittsburgh, you name it, that saw I had a bootleg VHS copy of Style Wars in 1986 that my friend taped off of PBS. I had this, I had this. When that came on at midnight, it changed everything. So the amount that those things, that those films, changed style wars and wild style is it changed the world and at the same time there's been a few graffiti books that have come out now at this point faith of graffiti um anthony cool um but nobody really knows those books exist because they come out in the early 70s and they're well they're graffiti household name books at this point you know people aren't looking at them Uh, Martha Cooper and Henry Chalfant put out a book in the early 80s called Subway Art. They'd both been documenting graffiti on the subways for years. And they made friends with a lot of the artists. And that book comes out on Thames and Hudson. And it comes out around the world as the softbound 112 page or whatever book. And it has a little bit of text just lots of photos it breaks down what the culture is and it created all-stars you know if you were in that book to this day you were still a graffiti all-star whether you stopped painting in 1982 or you're still working in that world that book is I can say probably you know that book I can say is the most stolen book in the world Um, it was in school libraries
1: it was in bookstores you know it's i think i stole it from my school library i'm not even lying like i stole a graffiti book i don't know if i'm confusing the martha cooper book with the one i stole it yes it's It's a very cool thing there's been
2: so many printings of it through the years and that book the artists in it are heroes there's been um so many tribute pieces based off of that book people sat there and traced it you know because that's all there was to look at everyone everybody that wrote graffiti Past when that book came out, copied from that book and helped learn from that book. So milestones, you know, those are some milestones. Then, you know, fast forward several years, another huge milestone to artists that are household names are Shepard Fairey and Banksy. Yeah. Uh, You know, look at the Simpsons, you know, they're on the Simpsons. They're, uh, you know, they're Shepard art and two and a half men like that. I hear Banksy reference in half hour comedy sitcoms all the time. You know, it's there. They do something that makes front page news uh you know and then the movie exit to the gift shop which is not that recent of a movie anymore again inspired entire generations of artists yeah. and those generations are you know out there and they're inspiring people so you know it's those early moments and then that recent moment which isn't that recent anymore of you know the shepherd fairy Banksy the effect and yeah. exit to the gift shop they just changed so so much what's the most underrated city for graffiti I feel like I'd get crucified for answering that question. Um, You know, to me, like I loved growing up in DC and looking at what I saw, it was a very small scene, but it was so inspirational and incredible for me. And looking at the book I made, looking at friends, things like that. It's like my high school yearbook. And I think, you know, they, so many of those artists went to different cities and inspired different people, you know, but Philadelphia, which pretty much starts and kicks off graffiti as we know it, their graffiti culture and history is also hugely, you know, undocumented and untold because it's a
1: different style and it's a different time. Um, I have a a few collection questions, but um, what would you tell somebody listening to this who wants to start a, like a collection of art done by street artists and and that sort of thing? Or to start a collection in general? Would you, I've heard you say to forego prints in... In in lieu of uh, buying like one $6,000 painting a year, what would you tell somebody to do to start an art collection? Sure. You know, everybody has a different idea
2: of what's an expensive piece of art. And everybody has, you know, different amounts of income that they can spend on things. Something off the bat, I would say, is buy what you love and buy what inspires you. If you're only buying with the idea that something should cost more in six months and you can flip it on eBay or something else, you might as well just go buy you know, shoes or watches or something else. You know, if you're looking at art, think about what inspires you. Absolutely think about the money. But I don't know. Let's use $100. You're not buying much for $100. Well, let's just use that as an example. You buy something for $100, pay $100 for a frame. Great. You're $200 in this thing. You have it on your wall for 10 years. It's $20 a year to inspire you with what you're looking at. If it's $10,000, it's two grand a year. I mean, think about your car. Think about your mortgage. Think about, you know a $300 night out at dinner with your friends where you're buying some drinks. A lot of people often are like, oh, $300 to buy that print or $2,000 to buy that piece of art. Like that's so crazy. And so many of these people I talk to are people with real money that can afford things and they just don't, that's just not what they're into. And that's okay. But uh, you know, when buying art to me, whether it's $10,000, $100,000, buy things that inspire you, not things that you just want to flip. Of course, if you're spending some serious money on it, ask questions, do your research because for every person that's honest and telling you what the true opportunity is, there's 10 times more people that are trying to get over on you or really do believe in that opportunity, buy from trusted people. Um, and while I advise people not to just fill their entire house up with prints, Um, If you can fill your house up with prints and say, oh, I can't afford real art. Well, if you could afford to buy all those prints, you could probably afford it to buy a somewhat piece of, you know, some, some kind of piece of art. But at the same time, if you're not sure if you like abstract work, realism, black and white photos, like, you know, you just like art. You think it's fun, um, buy buy a few prints, you know, go spend a few hundred dollars, go get a few things framed, hang it up. Look at it, live with it for a month, live with it for a little while. Even if you have a lot of money and you can go buy real art, maybe go test the waters and see what you like if you're unsure. Um, Meet some artists, you know, talk to art dealers, like ask questions. Um, And you know what? If you get some of those prints, then you end up up in the level with some paintings. You can always give your secretary, your friend, your cousin, whatever, you know, some art you can gift art. I can't tell you how much art I have in storage spaces that I've gotten from friends, that I've bought at charity auctions, um, everything imaginable that I love. I just physically don't have the space for all of it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it's been hung in my offices through the years. It's rotated in and out of my house. I try and rotate. So I want to give you know love and inspira- get inspiration from all of it. But over the last couple of years, I was like, it is physically impossible for me to keep looking at all this art. And I have so many friends that might never buy art or they have a kid that's 12 or this or that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start mailing a lot of my friends art so they can look at it and enjoy it and view it. And I've mailed out probably well over 100, you know, framed or real pieces of art to a lot of my friends. Um, and they've all sent me photos of it hanging. A lot of their kids are happy, and like that's what it should be. It's doing a lot better there than sitting in my storage. That's where art should be used for inspiration and enjoyment.
1: What is your collection like? How, what is, what is like, what is like the dime piece on your, on your wall that you are like, the people are like, holy fuck. I I have a lot.
2: I have a. lot of different types of collections i have a big punk rock collection i have a lot of ephemera i have a lot of hardcore music i have a lot of like odd dc artifacts um i don't have as many paintings as people think i have through the years i've fucked up and not gotten a lot of them i've let friends get them instead i'm like oh no i'll get one next time and you know what next time it's not affordable or there's just not that next time so i do have a lot of great work that i'm really so so happy i have but a lot of the paintings that i have that are the most meaningful are ones from people that you know are just trusted and dear friends and have we've helped each other get where we are and so many of those mean so much to me um but i have a lot of really nerdy ephemera that i look at it i'm just like this broken guitar head from this band from 1984 like 12 people care about that you know
1: but, <laughs> that's the best shit though that's the, that's that's easily the best shit
2: you know i have um, a i have a discord uh flex your head uh compilation record from what is it, 82 with 15 bands or 20 bands on it it's autographed by everyone that was on it and there's like all my favorite like dc bands and i got that from this old music critic that was in a band that was friends with all of them like i have like some weird stuff like that that i'm just so into that again like it's just so nerdy
1: did that do it yourself mentality for, that came out of that scene like, that's what you kind of like hooked into, right? Or, or am I out of my a- mind?
2: No, it's completely what I hooked into. I don't think I ever set out to be like, I'm going to do it myself. Screw this corporate person or that. Cause I've done a ton of corporate stuff and we still do. Yeah. Without a lot of the corporate partnerships and support, I wouldn't be where I am today. So it's being able to play, you know everything's smart in a sense but yeah do it yourself get it done like if someone says no like you can't just sit there and wait for someone to make the opportunity you need to create the action and do the action it might take a little while but do the
1: action yeah i i read a book once called poke the box and i fucking thought of you the whole time which is basically like don't sit around and wait to get picked like you got to fucking try to make shit happen and that's basically what you do right Basically,
2: I mean, I guess I also have a problem of a lot of people have different addictions. You know, they go golfing, they drink wine, they collect stamps, you know, do heroin. You know, people have different ideas and collections and hobbies. And um, I don't drink in my life. I've never had a drag of a cigarette. Like I've never done anything. I love sugar. I'm completely addicted to sugar, um, specific sugar, though, Um And I love what I do. And I'm so grateful that what I do goes back to, you know, when I was a teenager and I'm still working with so many of my friends from back then and still am able to experience things that excited me when I was 14, when I was 12, you know, a band I was listening to in seventh grade. Like now I'm doing a project with them. Like we're installing a huge Beastie Boys show in the gallery. Saw that shit.
1: Yes. Like, I.
2: I remember, you know, in third grade getting licensed to ill when it comes out, you know, and now I'm like holding the stuff and working with them. Like, there's just so many experiences like that, that have continued to happen. Like Taki 183, like he's the legend of, you know, everything. And like, you're reading about him in books. Are you ever going to meet Taki? Holy shit. I met Taki. Holy shit. Now I'm friends with Taki. Holy shit. Taki did a Sharpie tag on me and I got it tattooed. Like, he's just like the guy I know. Like, he's like my uncle. Like, it's just opportunities and it, it's really in a sense like everybody's kind of just a normal person in the end and you know treat everybody with respect and you're going to get somewhere at some point uh so many of these are things i learned early on when i was trading pictures with people and someone sends you photos after in them back the same day send some fucking photos back You go out to a birthday party with someone, you take a photo, you tell someone you're going to give it to them, like give it to them. How many of your friends have always said, Oh, I'll get you this. I'll get you this. And like, you never have it. Not because your friend is an asshole or vindictive. Like they just don't follow through with everything. Like if you have good follow through and you try and have more of a positive attitude than negative, because you know, you can have your negative days here and there because shit happens and you keep at it. Good things will eventually happen. Those good things don't always mean huge financial windfalls. Like, i'm still sitting here as as grateful as i am for what we're doing i'm still carrying boxes you know i have a a great team in here that supports me but like we're all doing it and we're making it go and thankfully so many of the artists we work with are now done really well and we're all supporting each other and i it sounds kind of corny and i don't know how i even feel about quoting myself perfectly about it but it's kind of like you know, for the culture, with the culture, but at the same time, we know everything we do needs to be able to reach a broader audience or we're not going to win and we're just going to stay inside a box and we need to get outside of that box.
1: Who has the definitive street art collection and what do they have that makes it them have that?
2: There's so many different answers for that question, I guess, based off of what I'm looking for that week, <laughs> to be honest. Um, there's a lot of great collections out there, and um, I, I'm happy to be able to, you know, loan from them and see them once in a while. But a lot of people have really specific collections.
1: What would you tell someone who wanted to work in a gallery like like yours? Like, how does someone, do they need a degree? What do they What do they have to do?
2: to work in a gallery um that's you know you you hear the term gallerina and this and this all the time of like here's new york there's a bunch of pretty girls working in the gallery and this person does this and this person the director like in the end anyone that wants to be an artist anyone that wants to work in a gallery um it's a normal job at the same time like if you want to be an artist and you're a successful artist you probably understand how to do marketing you probably understand like how to email people and say please and thank you and work your social media, at least in the beginning, before you have a team that helps you do it. Uh, You know how to go out to 12 galleries, even though you might not be showing it, them and just be seen and say hi. So to me, people I've hired, people I've wanted to hire, and people I see out and about at other galleries that are successful at it, it wasn't just like, I went to college to do this and do this. It's people that have embedded in the scene, care about the community, and work at the community and understand that in the end, like, it's a real job. And like, you're still helping take out the trash or making sure the trash is taken out. And, you know, the windows get cleaned and um, all of those things happen. Like working in the art world is incredible and amazing, but it's a real job at the same time. As myself and my friends continue to talk about this culture and when's it going to burst? When's people not going to care about this? We just look at another artist that just had another auction record that came out of this world. We look at another crazy brand collaboration. Someone did like, and we look at more and more people just interested in this culture. Uh, People go into paint freight trains. Now you look at the, workers in the yard. They're covered in tattoos. You know, they're in their 20s and early 30s. When we were painting freight trains, you know, in the early 90s and mid-90s, they're older men that like hate you for doing it. You know, the people working there now, sure, some of them are hate you for doing it, but they grew up probably listening to hip hop and, you know, all of that. So the the guard is changing places in a sense. And that includes people that work at museums, people that work at galleries, creative directors at brands or, you know, People that are my age in their mid-40s are now becoming creative directors of places. They're becoming museum directors. So while well, it's not just going to be like, pause the old shit, let's go insert some stuff that came from graffiti, street art, and lowrider culture, but it's culture that people have grown up with that's much more acceptable, and I definitely see the next five years a continuing shift, but it has been happening, and it's, I think, been
1: happening more than people probably realize. This is... um <laughs> this is a little bit of a curveball but I've heard you talk about this before I just wanted uh, I wanted to hear you say an answer best punk and hardcore album covers, just the cover
2: hell no Um, (laughs) fuck best punk rock or hardcore album cover that's that's a tough one I mean the germs album cover is just so perfect too you know just
1: the the blue circle you know there you go um, he's showing me a tattoo of it on his wrist for the people listening. Let's see
2: I mean, almost every Misfits album cover is perfect. I mean, it's it's so hard. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I stumped the, him. This is this is
2: the, the the favorites is always hard. I just yeah. I, I'm visually looking at so many different things all the time, and I. I do listen to so much of the same music I listened to when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. Yeah. Still the same crap I'm listening to today for the most part with a little bit of new stuff mixed in. So, um, you know, I'm constantly just, you know, I haven't listened to that album in two days. Let's listen to it again for the 8,000th time.
1: I think that's a good way to live. Yeah, it's Roger. There's still more show, but if you want a video of this interview, if you want to see the sausage get made, if you want to see every panel since March of 2020, and you're not some sort of freeloading cheapskate, that is on the show's Patreon. And thank you to all the patrons. You keep the show going. You are all good people. Patreon.com forward slash Brido. B-R-I-D-O. Thank you again to everybody who bought my album. It went to number one on the comedy charts. That felt awesome. So I just want to say thank you again. It's available on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, Tidal, Deezer, and at astrecords.com. If you want even more of me, I also am on Power Moves with Mike Burns this week. You can see me do stand-up every Wednesday at The Fable on Eagle Rock. Mike and Stacey Holmes are making award-winning burgers. And every Friday, I'm at a show called Flagship at the Glendale Room. One more time, I do want to plug the YouTube. That's YouTube.com slash Mike Bridenstine, because that special is going up January 6th at 5 p.m. Okay, we'll get right back to the show after a brief word from our
0: sponsors. What is the best way to handle the streaming wars? Judge all the content against each other. The Buffer Battle Podcast does just that. Joel and Tony are former radio co-hosts who pit two relevant pieces of content against each other every week to determine the winner of the week. From documentaries to dumb sitcoms, these two will help you decide who wins, and at the end of each month, they throw it all into a no-holds-barred cage match to see who wins the month. Often joined by special guests, including your boy Brido, to help decide the winners, tournament style. These guys have fun making fun of themselves and keep their passions for film and TV alive during this podcast. Tony's a film nerd, Joel is a music geek, and they aren't shy about their opinions. Listen to the Buffer Battle Podcast anywhere you download your podcast. I'm
1: Mike Bridenstine, and I have listened to None Taken.
3: The ad we've been doing for like two years on Brido's show, it's all based on an inside joke on our show, but it's for listeners that haven't listened to our show yet. So the joke is we always start our show with, you know, somebody as a guest, and yeah, and I've never listened to None Taken. They're not going to get that. No, they've never got that. What an annoying commercial. <laughs> a waste of time.
0: Why didn't I think of that?
3: <laughs> Neither of us did. <laughs> and then the whole thing ends with these guys fuck, which was like something I said once at the end of a recording, like spastically, like impulsively. Oh, you're not supposed to say that. I still think that's anymore. funny. All I right. like it when the girl says it. I, I, uh, hi, Victoria. This is the best. This is welcome to Nun Taken. This is what Nun Taken is like. <laughs> <laughs> wait did we just do an ad is that here you're telling me i i think that's what i'm gonna send him and who knows i mean he's played that <laughs> for the last two years why wouldn't he play this this is more like what our show is
0: thank you dustin and alan those guys fuck
1: thank you dustin and alan those guys well well you know now here's the thrilling conclusion. fuck now here's the thrilling conclusion of roger Gasman. please click follow This is an ethics question. Somebody asked me to ask you this. Can you like the culture, but also hate when your building gets tagged? Absolutely. Um,
2: You know, we do so many projects that our building, our shows, film screenings we do that are free for the community that we're paying for. You know, someone will often come in and write in the fucking bathroom and mess the whole place up. And I lose my security deposit because one person wanted to be cool. And, you know, right in the bathroom, even though he's at an event, you know, paid for and done with by the community, like it sucks. But, um, you know, in the end, like it's what we do. And, you know, we're dealing with even so many of my friends that are, so established in this world now and have gone on to have such great careers um you know build families build studios everything out of it like so much of it starts from vandalism you know like we got to remember that like it starts from stealing spray paint being secretive having a secret name breaking in somewhere and then painting um the whole thing is illegal yeah yeah dodging police so like the whole thing is illegal so we got to remember that and even though people have gone on to you know be past so much of that like you know how many times do you catch yourself being like oh i'm not 15 years old anymore oh it wasn't this or oh it wasn't that or oh wait no i got rid of that jacket like it's it's real um so
1: can i get pissed
2: when that stuff happens. Absolutely. But you know, at the same time, like I'm feeding into it. Like it's partly right. my fault. I am the problem. Do you, does that ever fuck with you at all or not? Or you've accepted it? I mean, what knock on wood that it doesn't go too bad, but like, in a sense, I've kind of accepted it. I was doing a talk at the Palm Springs art museum the other day and like Some people were asking some questions about stuff like that. And I was like, it's vandalism. Like, how do you justify blah, 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 blah. And you're up here. I'm like, I don't. It's vandalism. Like, you're writing on people's shit. You're not supposed to. Like, I'm just into it. Like, I'm sorry. Like, some graffiti writers have, you know, most graffiti writers have ethics. And they're not going to write on just a random car or someone's house or a church or, you know, a few things like that. But, you know, put enough beers in them and they'll write on fucking anything.
1: I mean, it's like asking Scorsese, like, if he condones like mob hits or something. I mean, it's like you, you can make a good story out of it or something. You know, I mean, you can like yeah. the thing without liking the thing. I guess exactly. Like, yeah.
2: Do I think some stuff takes it maybe a little bit far? Like, sure. But like again, like, I'm seriously part of the fucking problem. <laughs> but you're also part of the solution, right? I mean. Yeah. I guess so,
1: but I still love seeing the illegal shit. So, you're reminding me of something you said earlier between graffiti, street art, and murals. And you said that you've accepted the murals. Is there beef? Like, there's probably like a street. The legal thing probably like has no street cred with the most illegal thing. How does that work? Is is there a rivalry between the three, or is it intermixing?
2: There's somewhat different? of a
1: rivalry. You know, the graffiti and street art
2: world, especially in the '90s through the mid 2000s, was much 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 more rivalry Of uh, you know now a lot of the core core illegal graffiti writers that want nothing to do with the gallery world etc still definitely hate fucking street art and go over it and that is what they do and it's good like it creates tension i mean in the end like the streets are tension like graffiti is a dangerous sport like it looks real pretty and real glamorous a lot of the time when you come into these galleries and these shows but like it's dangerous like real shit happens yeah so uh yeah there's rivalries and then you know people hating the 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 murals too but you know at this point a lot of people have just kind of come to it's part of the
1: culture do you like other types of art i've never heard anybody ask you this are you like a are you do you go to like the Broad, or do you like do you you know i mean like do you like other shit
2: i do like other stuff um Honestly, I'm not that educated in the arts, which is somewhat embarrassing to say. I'm real specific. I can tell you about a painting someone probably made for a gallery in 1984 that came out coming out of the graffiti world or, you know, a punk rock record from 1979 on Danger House out of L.A. and what side of it was screen printed or, you know, who was writing in Washington, D.C. in 1992. So I'm an encyclopedia of that. And I know there's a lot of people that are encyclopedias of, you know, other Pieces of art. Uh, I was just in Miami and I was, you know, walking around the, the the Art Basel art fair. And one of the most exciting things to me is just walking up to stuff. I have no idea what it is, and just looking at the technique, looking at the paintings, and I love it. You know, it's different. It's inspiring. Um, I love going into galleries where I have no idea who anyone is and what the artist.
1: I wanted to ask you about your famous hat. You are every picture I've ever seen of you. Everything you are from. The area you're from the D.C. area pre the Washington Nationals. I know you're a Capitals fan. How long have you been rocking this Orioles hat? Is it because you like the Baltimore Orioles or is it what it tell me about it?
2: I grew up, you know, playing baseball and other sports as a ton of kids did. And as soon as I found graffiti, graffiti became my sport in a sense. and I slowly stopped playing and doing uh, you know, anything. And it was all about graffiti and graffiti was the action. Um, I did go to tons of balls. Uh, I did go to tons of baseball games at Memorial stadium, uh, which was so much fun and so great from the time I was really young through when I moved away um, to LA in 2004, I was going to Baltimore Oriole games. Um, I used to know all the play, you know, not personally, but I knew whom all the players were. I was watching the stats and all of that. I followed baseball and hockey very, very well. Um, and would I was I ever in love with the Orioles? No, but they were the team you went to see, so it was the team you wanted to win because they were local, and that's who was there. And I just have such good memories of going with, you know, family and friends, uh, you know, friends' parents taking us to the games and things like that. And it was great. Um, I also love hockey, Washington Capitals. I still religiously follow that. Uh, hockey is really the only sport I really religiously follow anymore. I still like baseball but honestly I couldn't name two players on any baseball team in the entire country or Canada. Um, so to me, you know, going to see Baltimore Orioles games was more just like a, a sense memory and a really fun thing to do. And uh, you know, it was a pride of the area and they have a much cooler logo than the Washington Capitals do too. You know, the uh, old, yeah, uh, yeah, old, yeah. old the logos. And uh, it was never intended to be like an iconic thing or this or that. You know, I wore lots of different hats through the years and it just ended up being like a hat I liked. And then I had another one and then I had another one. And I guess, you know, blink my eyes and it's several years later and, you know, we're still wearing the same goddamn hat. (laughs) Do you think if you showed
1: up in a different hat, people would lose their minds? Probably. (laughs) Plus that, that Washington Nationals hat looks like Walgreens. I don't care for it. I think you should stick with that one i've never been to a nationals game you know good for them that
2: neighborhood they play in you know was such a horrible crack infested fucked up neighborhood we used to go paint graffiti in there was a couple clubs down there we used to go to it was great and now it's you know
1: multi-million dollar condos yeah it's a, and mall a lot of
2: probably yeah. a lot of
1: fucking murals yeah um i heard you say one time that you are into dumb comedies i love dumb comedies i was wondering what you were referring to if you remember what kind of dumb comedies do you like there's a poster behind me of peewee's big adventure good one uh, <laughs> how about you that's, that's a good choice
2: um i mean i think about what, what was it called was it project x a movie a couple years ago of just like crazy high school party um i really loved that movie and i sat there in the theater sitting there kind of with my jaw down and be like, this is real. Like what's good. Like, yes. Like thinking about all this stupid high school things we done in the ridiculous parties. And I'm like, this is like way too much at once, but like all of this is real. This isn't a comedy. I love this. And I was just like, so, 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 so into it. And so happy. Um, I like a lot of really bad shows and bad, like, 80s inspired movies party inspired movies school inspired movies i read stuff all day long i'm looking at contracts i'm talking to people all day long I'm living in front of the computer i can do three things at once where i'm text messaging doing an interview like writing an email and like probably watching a tv show and tell you what's happening everywhere it's just how my fucked up mind works and probably works better in that chaos but i just love watching bad television in the background um you know and i just finished watching the original pretty little liars that was great i figured i never watched it i should watch it i like bad film and tv like that and i'm not afraid to admit it
1: that's great it's brave i think the bravery i see bravery out of you right now yeah um i wanted to ask you uh i recently watched exit through the gift shop again i own it and i i watched it when it came out i watched it again people think mr brainwash was a hoax yeah. Was that a
2: hoax? I'm shaking my head. No, Um, it's not. It's, it's real. I mean, I remember meeting him before he was brainwashed. I was always with shepherd and he was running around filming shepherd. And he was the guy that was there. Like he showed the fuck up. He climbed the rooftops. He did the illegal stuff with everybody. He filmed it and he captured so much. There's just a small fraction of the illegal stuff. He filmed. That's even out there. He still has so much. He has the craziest archive. Like, he did it like he really, really did it. Um and like his art or not like his art, he was out there doing it. And um he documented so many of the people that were doing it. And um love or hate the studio art he's making, it's produced well, he means well, and he gives a lot to charity. Uh, but he is a hundred percent
1: real was that life is beautiful show i did not live in la at this point was that as big of a clusterfuck as it looked in the movie 100 percent, like not even exaggerated so you came in there you have a quote the first quote that you say i think is was like so fucking i laughed so hard the second time i watched it because it's like not okay to say anymore i guess oh yeah i got that someone just called me on that the other day it was but it's what we said then like that's yeah. everybody everybody said that shit back then so you came in there it was that big of a fucking disaster and then like you knew what to do to get it ready for all of these like this huge line of people coming in yes it's i wild. mean we,
2: so much of what we've done is work production through the years and help friends with shows and uh you know i'd worked on a, i worked on a lot of aspects of that film not just that show itself you know i did the interviews that with Brainwash, with Shepard, with so many people in the film, like I was behind the camera, doing the interviews, doing lots of stuff in that film, Um, and I helped get that show going. Um, The show was Brainwashes, you know, he had the location, he made the art, I had nothing to do with any of that, but in the end, if the show was going to go off, whether we were filming it or not, he needed some really simple things like art being hung on the wall, like just <laughs> being there wasn't good enough. Your guys can build as many sculptures as you want out of TVs, but like if you can't plug the TV in or go get the extension cord or pay the electric bill, it ain't gonna happen. Wow.
1: I I still I I believe you. I just still can't wrap my head around that guy. Like he's like a once in a lifetime kind of guy, I guess. And I'm glad that I'm glad that his footage existed and I'm glad that you guys' photo like footage exists. So there's an article
2: about him um that i don't remember where it is it was la times i know that that came out that he had done so many things um in los angeles and he had talked about them like i ran the door at this club i did this i did this and like no one believed him they're like you're full of shit. you didn't do any of this and this reporter set out to prove, you know, prove him wrong. Like this guy's a fraud. This guy didn't make his art. This guy didn't work at a club. He didn't do this. And like, it was all real. Like I knew it was all real, but like the reporter sets out and it's a long story. I'm sure you can find it. It probably was 10 years ago in LA times. It's an interesting read. And he's like the reporter the whole time. is just like, motherfucker, this is real. Like, <laughs> like I know it was real. Like, but you know, it's, it's kind of great in that sense. Like, Terry's authentic like he's real he's just legitimately the the definition of an insane artist and he wants everyone to legitimately win around him also like he he's given
1: maybe the most annoying question you'll be asked but people would uh hate me if I didn't do you know who Banksy is who the artist known as Banksy I don't are you i don't know what you're saying all right fun um so what are your goals coming up with control gallery i went to the opening i went to dabs mila i'm a huge dabs mila fan the bc boys are coming what are what is what's coming down can you talk about like what's coming and what your goals are for the gallery so we started beyond the streets in 2018 and it was great. It was
2: a great experience. I could talk for three hours about craziness that happened during that. And
1: how I also we. Went to that. I love that one as well. Yeah. That was gateway for me. Yeah.
2: And how we made it work. Um, I could talk about the 2019 experience and all of that. It was twice as big in New York. It was incredible. And um, we've really just enjoyed doing these huge, massive shows again, with the idea of education through entertainment, it's real. Um. We love working directly with the artists. We love being able to support the artists and you know get things out there. Um, so many of the artists we work with manage, represent, um, help are continuing to put out projects. They're continuing to sell their works and they want a space to show that it's such an overused word in a way that's you know a community space, but that treats everything as a very serious gallery and not just be taken advantage of by a gallerist that thinks oh this shit is cool now you know they want to show with their friends in a sense and we saw a huge gap in the market in a sense for that and we really loved um how many uh how the the community our friends that the huge shows we had done brought together um if, hey i want to have a book signing where should I, I don't know what's called this bookstore maybe we could do this like i have a fucking store come sign your books here your cousins needs a space for a book signing you need to do your birthday party here like great get over here if you're gonna make a mess you better pay to clean it up or bring a security guard if you need one but like we wanted a space that you know could be serious at the same time you know beyond the streets has turned into such a brand which is incredible we're probably not going to get into an art fairs beyond the streets and beyond the streets is so specific to graffiti and street art i love a lot of other art too we Love we'll a lot of other artists that don't associate with that as much anymore. So doing control gallery with, you know, Sky, uh, my partner in that and Iconic class, is incredible. We're able to work with other artists, other things, and at the same time still represent and work with a lot of the artists we work with that do come from Graffiti and Street. And the next door in the Beyond the Street space, we can do whatever the hell we want. And they're both connected and they can take each other over. Uh, you know, we want to continue to have great traditional gallery shows. We want to continue to put great product in our gift shop. We want to continue to have fun, free events. And we also, a couple times a year, want to have a show museums might not do for three or four years or be a little afraid to do um, and not really give a fuck and just have the like, let's do it attitude and get it done. And, you know, that's what we're doing with Control and with Beyond the Streets Gallery. You know, we're just doing our own shows, our own things and getting it done. Um, We opened three and a half months ago and we've done some incredible things and it's just going to keep coming.
1: How far in advance do you have it planned out?
2: We're planned. Through next year um, with, you know, some odds and ends, you know, something's always shifting a little bit here or there, you know, different artist always has different ants, you know, needs to switch something or there's always downtime between shows where we're able to do a few different. Little things in between shows that are fun so there's there's different stuff that's happening but uh the print bizarre event we did not so long ago was really fun like there's good stuff happening
1: so final question for you i wrote a i wrote a book about comedy it's coming out next year how do i become like you but for comedy how do i be how do i you don't want to be
2: you don't want (laughs) to you do you like sleeping
1: i enjoy it yeah quite a bit
2: like carrying boxes of books not really you're fucked <laughs> did you self-publish it no it's got a publisher okay. Uh, okay you're you're winning there we started publishing the books ourselves at this point um well we've worked with tons of publishers we're just like you know we stopped doing it um uh, because we have such a great audience Uh, I mean, how can anyone do what I'm doing? Um, Honestly, respect your community um, is the easiest thing I I can say. You know, respect the community. Um, Be part of the community and want the community to win. And if you want that and you show up and it's authentic, it's real. And you might not win right away, but you're going to win. You know, patience is huge responsibility is big you know be responsible be patient
1: where do you want people to find you where, like where do you want people to find your stuff where do you want people to check out any plugs that you want to give BeyondTheStreets.com
2: is a really simple place to see where we're at what we're doing um beyond the streets art is the instagram handle roger Gastman. R-O-G-E-R-G-A-S-T-M-A-N is my Instagram. We're launching a huge fucking show in London. We're taking over all of Saatchi Gallery in February. All three four square feet. That's a whole other piece of madness that's coming that I'm wow.
1: excited. You know, there, there, There's a lot happening. Wow. Well, thank you, dude. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm glad we could do it. I'm glad you're feeling better. Last time we had, he got uh, the COVID. And so this time we were able to do it. I really enjoyed talking to you. And thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Ah, that's Roger Gassman. Thank you for listening. You can buy my album. You can subscribe to my YouTube. I desperately need money. R.I.P. Michael Clark Duncan.
0: Late.